Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. On the Science Revolution this week is Melissa Troutman and Joshua Boaz Probanik on their new documentary with Mark Ruffalo, Invisible Hand. The rights of nature movement captured in Invisible Hand changes nature's status from property to a living entity, which fixes a fundamental flaw within societies worldwide that contributes to everything from genocide to ecocide. Across the globe, communities are creating new legal systems that grant legal enforceable rights to nature, thereby honoring the rights of all people too. This documentary shows when we enact and enforce the rights of nature, we restore the sanctity and equanimity of all life, including human beings. Stay tuned. It seems like it was early this year, a movie that Mark Ruffalo was in about a community that was basically their water supply was poisoned by a product that was used to make Teflon. It was extraordinary and it was a true story. And now Mark Ruffalo has executive produced a new movie, Invisible Hand. And the directors of that documentary, the directors of that new documentary, Melissa Troutman and uh, Joshua Boaz Probanik, are on the line with us. Invisible Hand is the name of the movie. InvisibleHandFilm.com is the website. And uh, the Twitter handles for the two are Melissa at 22 or J-B-P-R-I-B-A-N-I-C. And welcome to both of you. What brought this documentary about? What brought you guys into this? Well, Joshua and I have both been environmental reporters, investigative journalists for 10 plus years. And it was in our coverage of the pollution brought from the development of fracking in the Marcello Show region specifically the water contamination resulting from that development and the cover-up of that water contamination by state and federal authorities in collusion with the companies committing those crimes that brought us to a place where we had to sit back and say, we keep seeing the same problem in our reporting all of the time. Pollution happens, harm happens, Corporations get away with it, and government is colluding. So it seems like a hamster wheel or a dead end. And we kind of been searching for and been asked many, many times by our audiences, what do we do? What can be done about all of this? It was through our coverage of water contamination issues that we met the people of Grant Township in Indiana County, Pennsylvania. And the people in Grant Township were adopting an approach that made alarm bells go off in our minds. And that approach is that Grant Township passed a local law that granted the community rights to decide what happens in that community and also legal rights to nature as a living entity with the right to exist flourish and naturally evolve. It was a strategy that really stuck with us. And when we became more 
aware of the work that was happening on the ground around the rights of nature movement. I mean, it wasn't a new concept to us, but when we saw it being used as a way to confront harm directly in the communities we were covering, that's when we realized we need to report on this. The rights of corporations go way back. I mean, the Dartmouth case in 1815 first established their right as artificial persons to stand before courts in the United States. Arguably, those rights were established at the founding of the Republic when it was decided that business entities could pay taxes and, and things like that, or you know, could be held to pay taxes and could sue and be sued. And arguably, took a big step forward in 1886 with Southern, you know, Santa Clara County and all that kind of stuff. But the rights of nature, you know, at the time that the Constitution was written, uh, the, the the people who were writing it perceived nature as just one vast, unlimited. Um, you know, thing that that just was, you know, unharmable. Um, Lewis and Clark, when they got out here to the Columbia River, uh, talked about how some of the rivers, the salmon were so abundant that it looked like you could just walk across the river during spawning season. Of course, you couldn't, but, it, you know, it was, it was that dense. Um, uh, Joshua, where, you know, that, 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 the rights of nature were singularly lacking from our Constitution. What's the history of attempts to recognize rights of nature in American law? We can't fault the founders for not including rights of nature, not a concept that was probably understood or conceived of by them at that time. And you have to think about rights of nature, for me, it, it comes out of capitalism. It's a defense mechanism and a movement that has been born out of what capitalism has done to this planet. You know, it's an we call the film Invisible Hand for that reason. You know, the, the idea of the invisible hand has always been something that's a human construct that if you pursue as much profit and, you know, self-interest as possible, you're going to trickle down all of these good things into your community and into the market and everywhere else. And that idea of, you know, the American dream being a, a very human anthropocentric perspective is radically changing. And it's not humans who are going to be at the center of decision-making in the marketplace anymore. Nature is now becoming the center of decision put of decision-making in the marketplace. We just saw that this week as water, lo and behold, is going to be traded as a private commodity um, on the marketplace. So more and more and more, nature is becoming the center and the focus, and that's what rights of nature is. Rights of nature is the opportunity for America to turn in the right direction and actually create an economy and create a government that honors the indigenous legacy that helped them create that government in the first place. Now, they've dishonored it up to this point. They've raped the land. They've pillaged as much as possible. They've broken the treaties. They're breaking the treaties right now up with uh, Line 3 in Minnesota by trying to get uh, have Enbridge push that, push that uh, pipeline through. And right in nature, in the, in the film Invisible Hand, you see this amazing opportunity for the world to take a different direction, to take a totally different direction. And this has been happening since 2006 in the States. Um, 
with Pennsylvania passing one of the first rights of nature bills to confront, you know, sewage sludge and landfill problems. Uh, that then went to, down to Ecuador and got put into a national constitution, and it came back up to the states, and it's been spread across overseas. And you saw uh, Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh's ban on fracking is actually the largest municipality in the country to include rights of nature in their um, local language, which is amazing. And then in the film, you see mm. Toledo, Ohio, and Toledo becoming, you know, the first community um, to give rights to Lake Erie, this enormous international um, body of water. And once Toledo did that, you know, Grant had a lot of attention in the film. They had <clears throat> national headlines of Rolling Stone and those things. And with Toledo, Toledo went international with it. So. Melissa, you open the movie with two very powerful people and concepts. A Native American talking about the day that the battle between the white snake and the red snake, or serpent rather, will happen and nature gets involved in all this. And, and Milton Friedman, really, I thought it was some of the best footage I've ever seen of Milton Friedman laying out what became the foundation of neoliberal economics and Reaganism and you know the, the world that we've lived in solidly for 40 years. Um, and, and softly prior to that. Can you recap those for us, those perspectives? Sure. Well, the film begins with Dega Winota, Wolf Clan Seneca Nation, sharing the Haudenosaunee prophecy of the peacemaker, the peacemaker prophecy. This is woven throughout the film along with the quote-unquote wisdom of Milton Freeman, Courtesy of um, the, the Freeman footage actually it came from, it's archival footage from PBS. So way back in the day, PBS did a whole series on free market capitalism. Um, and, and so throughout the film, these two, these two stories uh, kind of rock back and forth around the battles that are being uh, fought on the ground by communities in the United States and abroad. And the, the disparity between those two narratives, of course, is that the indigenous knowledge and culture that doesn't even need rights of nature because there was no separation from nature to begin with. Um, because what, 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 again, what rights of nature is, is it's a legal framework that we're trying to shove into a Western system of law where nature is subjugated at, at, to property at best. So if free market capitalism and Milton's theories are about nature as property and private property, and private property is a pillar, one of the pillars of capitalism, right? That's, that's how it gets to function. Also, and that private property is about self-interest and that is fundamentally different from not just indigenous knowledge and culture but also democracy democracy is about everybody participating nature is interconnected everything is part of a web of life and those fundamental realities and beliefs are not a part of capitalism. They are the antithesis 
of capitalism. And so it's this um, interplay between the two that, that the, like I said, the community battles are woven between. And brilliantly so. And welcome back. We're talking about this extraordinary new documentary with the directors of the documentary, Melissa, Melissa Troutman and uh, Joshua Boaz Probonik, and the co-founders of Public Herald Studios, which is the organization that brought this out. The website is invisiblehandfilm.com. Melissa, we were talking about how the Native American perspective sees humanity essentially as interpenetrated by nature. We're all one thing. You know, we are part of the natural world. It is part of us. Whereas Milton Friedman and capitalism, Milton Friedman plays a big role in your movie. Milton Friedman and capitalism view basically they've kind of atomized everything, um, as does our law, and uh, have have seen these things as as very very separate. How do we, using a Western, you know, this this Western atomistic kind of neo-Cartesian worldview, how do we? integrate these two seemingly irreconcilable, irreconcilable things that, that the idea that you know, humanity is part of nature and, and doesn't just have an obligation to nature, but you know, it, it's us versus humanity stands apart from nature, which by the way, our religions teach us as well. And that uh, you know, we have both the, the responsibility to steward it, arguably, or the right to completely overwhelm and dominate it. And our law, I mean, going all the way back to the, to the dominion of discovery, you know, the, the, the doctrine of discovery, excuse me, you know, from that papal bull in, when it, you know, the 12th century. How do we reconcile these? Well, reconciliation is a big part of it. And a good place to start would be to reconcile the, the terrible injustices of settler colonialism. Um, and perhaps... In doing so, we could give land back, authority over land back to the indigenous peoples. That's one. That's one. That's one thing we might be able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, we have the laws we have, and they absolutely must change because otherwise we're done. And I say that not, I mean, that's not hyperbole. We have been living outside of the laws of nature for a very long time. And the physical realities of the world that we live in, such as the carrying capacity of an ecosystem or reciprocity and cause and effect, are not built into our structure of law whatsoever. So how do we get there? We start doing it. There are people who are already doing it, uh, crafting laws that put nature into the, our most uh, the foundation of law. Um, the trouble, of course, is that the power structures in place would need to relinquish power in order for this to actually happen. So how do you get how do you get you know imperialistic uh, capitalistic colonizer power structures to 
how do you steal their power? Um, there's a lot of different organizing that has to happen. There's a lot of healing that has to happen. And there's a lot of uh, coalescing that has to happen among environmental groups um, and the general public that all, you know, we're not talking about this as a strategy um, on a mass scale yet. And I mean, that's the first step. Legislators, people in power, corporations have to be forced to put power where it belongs, which is in the people. And they must be forced to get our consent in the place, in within ecosystems to harm us. And somehow we have to figure out how to put nature at the center of our decision-making processes. On our website, invisiblehandfilm.com, we have a page where we have uploaded the laws that have already been written by municipalities all over the United States, and in, in I believe some from other countries, too. Um, so the examples are right there. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, we uh, rights of nature uh, was talked about for a moment by within the Democratic National Convention. Um, It was at one point uh, mentioned in a draft of the Green New Deal, but those things have been stripped out. So we really need to rally the people power to kind of lift lift this strategy up to where the big power sits. Sponsoring the interview this week is... Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Welcome back. We're talking with Melissa Troutman and Joshua Boaz-Probanek, the directors of the new documentary, documentary Invisible Hand, uh, executive produced by Mark Ruffalo. Uh, they are also the co-founders of Public Herald Studios. InvisibleHandFilm.com is the website. I encourage you to check this out. Joshua, I was, I was really pleased to see uh, uh, Thomas Lindsay in your movie. I've, I've known Thomas for uh, 20 years and uh, been a, bit a big admirer of his work. I've written about his work, in fact, uh, in two different books. And um, I think that the, the, the whole injection well comes to town story that is sort of a framing device or, or, or a narrative, part of the narrative arc of your, of your documentary, is such an important way to convey to people what the stakes are and how how the game is played and 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 possible responses uh, that may or may not work short term and uh, or alternatively may or may not work long term. Um, you want to tell us that story? 
Sure. Uh, I mean, you're talking about it in respect to, you know, dealing with an oil and gas company in your town. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, yeah. The, the I, I, I'm, I have in my head Grant Township. I'm sorry, I, I, I don't have it all in right in front of me. But the, you know, the town where the fracking company was coming to town and saying, Yeah, Grant Township. Know, we're going to put the injection well here in your backyard, and and the people were saying to the to the the company, you know, would you want this in your backyard? That kind of thing. Yeah. Well, I got breaking news for you. Um, Grant Township has just been sued again by the oil and gas company in the film. Uh, that oh just God. came out today. And what's going on is these oil and gas companies are scared to death of this rights of nature movement and the consequences of nature having the same rights as a person in the court where they have the same rights as the person. They've never had to deal with that argument in the court, and when the day that comes that they do, they're just going to crumble. Because once it starts to get out of the regulatory hands, once it starts to get out of the state agencies and federal agencies who are completely captured regardless of which political administration is running it, and it starts to go down to the local hands, and each member of the community starts to speak on behalf of nature, and that is juxtaposed to the corporation speaking on behalf for itself, you're going to be pretty hard-pressed to get a jury who isn't going to side with the community's voice for nature in these right. situations. And we should say, you know, this is not a Democrat-Republican situation. In, in Grant Township, that's a majority Republican community. I mean, they voted for Trump in this election. And they also have a rights of nature bill which is confronting oil and gas corporations. Now, why would that happen? Right. It seems like a complete contradiction. It happens because they don't want big government telling them what to do, and they're all on private water supplies, and they want to be able to protect their water. And that means that they have to go above and beyond the existing structure of law to keep that water safe. And rights of nature became something that was available for, you know, to them to do that. And you mentioned Thomas. So Thomas just, is just one of the ones who brought that into the community. And, uh, of course, you see the, the, the dramatic change that happened there in the twist, the plot yeah, twist in the film. He, he is uh, just one of the most brilliant down. and innovative lawyers out yeah. there. But uh, it just, but you know, for, for, for people who may not know what we're talking yeah. about here, yeah. could, you, could you very quickly explain what an injection well is and why frackers need them? Yeah, it's, injection wells are the ways that the oil and gas industry gets rid of all the radioactive and toxic waste that they produce in this country. And it's essentially a cavern in the ground. In many cases, it's just an abandoned oil and gas well where they sucked all the oil out of the ground. And now they have this cavern in there that's empty. And the idea is to take this extremely radioactive waste, all of the waste in you know, the oil and gas industry is radioactive. Public Herald has been the lead on that report. Um, we just came out with a new story yesterday where oil and gas whistleblowers talk about handling this radioactive waste. And they, they can't put it anywhere else because they have so much of it. They can't just, you know, throw it into a treatment plant because it'll just bog down the treatment plant and ruin it. So they have this injection well set up where they get permitted to take extremely dangerous material, dump it underground and leave it there in perpetuity as if it's not going to communicate with a water well um, or anything else. So, it's it's a, it's a horrible, horrible system um, that we've been living with now for the last, you know, 40 years or so. 
So how did how did this township, uh, Melissa, how did this township try to stop the gas company from uh, putting millions of gallons of radioactive and poisonous water into their into their ground when so many of these families drink groundwater. I mean, you know, they have wells and the, and the community has wells. Um, what, was their, what was their first effort to stop this? Where did they start? Trying to work within the regulatory regime that we already have. Thinking for sure, once the federal EPA or the State De- Department of Environmental Protection because they have very nice sounding names. Surely once they see the situation we're in, that we have no alternative water supplies. There are no public municipal uh, water supplies that we can tap into if our groundwater is contaminated. Once the regulators see our, our situation, they're not gonna let this happen because it makes no sense. Right. And then the regulators were like, oh, yeah, we're going to let that happen. And so the community also went to the corporation directly and said, okay, well, if you're going to do this, will you at least uh, put money aside to get us water if you contaminate our water? And the corporation said, no, we're not going to do that. And so faced with, you know, after doing their due diligence, faced with, what to do, they simply decided that they weren't going to let it happen. And the way that they did that was that they um, they got the help of the Community Environmental Legal Defense Fund, CELDEF, and the organizers there helped them craft a local law, a local bill of rights that said, nature has rights and we are going to defend those rights. A corporation cannot come in and tell us what they are going to do. We will decide what they're going to do. And and by the way, nobody's allowed to inject toxic waste into our subsurface in this township because of the harms and the risks that we, the people who live here, are not willing to take on for someone else's Mm -hmm. private gain. And so... The response to that was what, Melissa? The response to that was that Grant Township got sued by the corporation and by the Department of Environmental Protection, by its own regulatory agency. And as one of the township supervisors in Grant says in the film, why is it that when we're trying to protect our water and then the, the state department, the state regulatory agency, also claims that it's trying to protect our water, why, if we're both doing the same thing, are they suing us? And it's very simply because in the structure of law we have in the United States and other countries, we are the children and the big and big government is the parent and the parent's best friend is the corporation and they get to decide what happens, period. Not only that, well, but they have decided that nature is just property. It doesn't just run head on into the into the idea of um, uh, of uh, sovereignty isn't the right word. What's the I forget the word for when a uh, you know a federal government has supremacy over a state government, state government has supremacy over preemption uh, is is a piece of it. Yeah. Um, 
yeah. How do, how do, how do, is that is that the sticking point here? That the EPA is is lord over all. Here's the sticking point. A whole bunch of years ago, a bunch of property owning men wrote some words on paper, and that's the regime that we operate under today. Right. And that's the sticking point. And the way, the only way out of that is to demand that that is not the law of the land. That we, there is a new law of the land, one that actually requires consent and <laughs> that makes us live inside the, the laws of nature because if we don't, then everybody dies. Yeah, we're toast. And welcome back. Joshua, where are the, the rights of nature at in the United States, I mean, legally speaking? Have they been, how, how far do you think we are from establishing rights of nature as, as, a, as, a, as a coherent, consistent, recognized, Supreme Court approved legal doctrine in this country? Uh, we're pretty damn close. Um, in my opinion, considering where we were, let's just say, in 2011 or 2010 when fracking started, when rights of nature was something, if you talked about it, it was like talking about sci-fi. Um, right. you know, now it's become the reality and an option for communities to take, which is profound. I did not think we would be here this quickly as someone who's been involved with this you know, since like 2006 and seven. Um, but with the courts, where we are with the courts is that the right of nature has a chance to defend itself in court with the recent lawsuit that was brought against Grant Township by Pennsylvania General Energy. Because Pennsylvania General Energy names rights of nature in that lawsuit and says that, that the rights of nature in Grant Township is void and unenforceable, I'm quoting it here, because it violates the Equal Protection Clause, the First Amendment, the Fifth Amendment, the Fourteenth Amendment, and the Contract Clause of the United States Constitution. So that is the defense mechanism right now that the corporations are using to fight rights of nature and to prevent it from getting into court. And they're doing that by saying, this is unconstitutional. We shouldn't even have to argue this case. You need to throw out this community's Bill of Rights throw out their home rule charter and let us come in and dump this waste because we have a right to do that. We're a person. Nature's not a person. Let's just get it done with. So that's where it is right and now this- with the courts. And in Pennsylvania, um, Representative uh, Daniel Friel Otten is working with CELDEF. They have put in something to create a state amendment to the Constitution, which would allow rights of nature to be placed into the state's constitution, that would then sit alongside the environmental rights clause that's there right now, which is section 127 of the the PA constitution. And those are two different things. Environmental rights is a very anthropocentric version of what to do with these environmental problems. Rights of nature is a completely ecocentric version. It means nature's at the center of decision-making, not humans specifically. Yeah, and, and ultimately that's a, a reality that we're all going to have to recognize, I think. 
Um, where, which yeah. court is this being argued in? Uh, it's going to be argued in, I believe, uh, I think it's a state court here in, in Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. down in Pittsburgh. Um, right. I don't believe this is a federal court, but I, I'd have to double check on that and get back to you, to be honest. At, at this moment, yeah. So it's it's that's uh, yeah. uh, it's fascinating. I mean, there 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 is so much here. There, I, your movie does such a great job of just kind of laying this all out. I'm so impressed by the work that you guys have done. You said that at one point that this is neither Democratic or Republican, that in fact most of the people in this particular township that's featured in the movie, Grant Township, uh, voted for Donald Trump in the last election, probably both you know, of the last two presidential elections. Have either of the political parties, I mean, given that, that this is so transpartisan or, or suprapartisan, some, you know, above partisanship, um, uh, have either of the political parties taken this seriously? I know the Democratic Party, uh, you know, at one point touched on it in in, in debates around the, the platform, as I recall, uh, four years ago. Maybe I'm wrong, but uh, where where are where is our political system at with regard to this? I mean, if I'm talking about it, you know, from the perspective as an investigative journalist and reporting on this story, it looks like what's happening is that both the Republican and Democratic parties who take their cues with these situations from the Green Organization, that the Green Organizations are not necessarily communicating rights of nature to the political spectrum. And because of that, there's no established platform by, you know, the Democratic Party or the Republican Party to include um, rights of nature in their policies and in their values and their beliefs. And the same is true, let's just say, for the Green Party. I mean, you'd think the Green Party would have this, you know, sit in front and center as one of the policies and options to combat climate change, you know, as a form of climate action or, you know, dealing with um, indigenous rights or it's, it's really a unifying concept. So it would unify all these different fronts under one platform. Even they don't have anything established, so they can be criticized uh, just as well. And Melissa mentioned the Democratic National Convention uh, has considered including it, but it didn't get in. Um, So right now it's still getting pushed away. And that's a problem because corporations are way ahead of these guys. Okay, Corporations are way ahead of both, both parties. They've been drafting bills. They've got bills passed in Ohio. They've got bills passed in Florida. You know, the Florida vote just happened down there, and they passed rights of nature for Orange County, which is the largest county in the country to pass it. Um, and I asked the lawyers, I said, you know, what does this really mean? Because there's a state preemption. The state preemption says you can't bring a rights of nature case into the court. And the lawyers just say, listen, if, if there's a state preemption, basically it just means that they, you know, they pass the ballot where it says that 89% uh, of the people poll for rights of nature because they can't bring a case into court. So corporations are, like usual, far ahead of the, of the political parties. And the only way to change that is really for the communities to to vote differently and put, put people in office who respect this stuff and who understand this stuff. Right. And just to clarify, these corporations that are writing these laws that are being passed by these legislators, like in Florida, they are not recognizing the rights of nature. They are they are saying that local communities may not recognize the rights of nature. Do I have that right? Absolutely. Yeah. It, it, it says yeah. very concisely, 
you know, Ohio did it yeah. with a budget bill. A budget bill. They, they passed the budget bill and they put a clause in that said, no community shall bring any case that includes rights of nature into the Ohio courts. Um, and, wow. you know, the same is true for other places. It, they're very, like, simple things like this. However, right. a new one that's been proposed for Minnesota says things about no you know, if, if you're an unnatural thing, if you're an un, if you're not part of human life, essentially, um, then you can't bring a case into the court, which is really interesting the way that they draft that, because the corporations might have shot themselves in the foot, because it's written from this very, um, very microscopic human uh, viewpoint. Right. And the For way that it's persons. written, it, it, yeah. could, it, it could mean that, yeah, the natural person... Um, doesn't include the corporation, so therefore the corporation's right. per- personhood could be in question because they try to preempt rights of nature in that state. Melissa, we have a little less than a minute left. Um, what are your thoughts on how we need to, uh, do we need more of a cultural change or a, uh, a political change or a legal change here? This is a cultural disease born of an, the experiment that is industrial of uh, civilization. Um, we absolutely need a, a complete cultural paradigm shift. And when you asked Josh earlier, how close are we to that happening? Um, I don't go to politics or the market or any other indicator other than nature herself. I mean, she she's in charge here, she backs last, and we're gonna have to start living by her rule for, I mean, we really, we do not have a choice. Yeah, she's starting to kick our ass. <laughs> That's what's going on. Uh, <laughs> Melissa Troutman, Joshua Boaz, Probonic, uh, you guys are just doing great work. InvisibleHandFilm.com. Thank you both so much for being with us today. That's all for this week's Science Revolution. You can find the video portions of the Science Revolution on YouTube and check out our Facebook page.